All right, I want to talk about the call of God. It means so much to me. I knew nothing about the call of God until I got called by God. And uh, the call of God, uh, you know, came into my heart when I was 18. And through the years, I've developed a, a theology on the call of God. And uh, so I'd like to share some of that with you tonight. It won't be an exhaustive study, but uh, if you're a believer, the call of God is upon you. And we'll understand that as we go through this lesson, all right? The call of God. I'd start out asking this question, why is this message important, the call of God? Because it reveals the dealings of God. It shows that you have an eternal purpose, that your life matters. When I got saved, I wanted to do something that mattered. I wanted to make a difference. It just came into my heart right when I first got saved. I'm just 18. And uh, the Lord, soon after that, called me to preach the gospel. And, you know, my life has made a difference for eternity. Uh, For so many people, I feel like I've made a mark and that uh, I'm being faithful to the Lord. And there's a reward in heaven for me as as a Christian and also as a pastor. The Bible teaches that every Christian has a calling from God. I'm going to read three verses to try to just set this in there. Every Christian has a calling from God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I love that. It's a holy calling. It's a holy because it came from God who is holy. But also the calling of God is a call to holiness. It's a call to a transformed life. Am I right about that? A holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. So God called us. It's a holy calling, and it comes with a purpose. It comes with a purpose, his purpose, his purpose, a divine purpose. It tells us in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, For you see your calling, brethren, and he's writing to Christians in the church at Corinth. He's not writing to pastors or what you call ministers of the gospel. He's writing to Christians. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's kind of like a a shot at us, isn't it? (laughs) He's he's literally saying, look at yourselves. You're not wise. You're not mighty. You're not noble. God called you because you were weak and, uh, (laughs) you know, lacking in power. It's kind of a shot, but uh, listen, the weaker we are, uh, we give ourselves to the Lord, and then if he accomplishes anything through us, it's to God be the glory, right? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But he says, look at your calling. And he says, you're called of God. And then in Romans eight twenty eight has this word called in it as well. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So I'm going to talk about the fourfold call of God here tonight. Just going to teach on this just a little bit. The fourfold calling of God. Number one, you are called to salvation. For you see your calling. 
That's, you could substitute the word salvation. For you see your salvation. That not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are, are, are saved. It's the idea of calling to salvation. So if you're saved tonight, if you're a Christian, you've been called by God to salvation. The gospel call went out. His voice went out. The call, God called to you, come unto me. And you responded and believed as you heard him calling to you by the Spirit of God, the drawing of the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 1, 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you or saved you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So if you're a Christian, you have a calling, a salvation calling. You're called by God, called to salvation. All right. The second calling that I see here, here is you're called to fulfill God's purpose for your life. So you're called, you're saved, but my wife gave that, that testimony that he just doesn't save you and there, you're saved. But that salvation comes, that call to salvation also comes with a calling for a purpose. He has plans for your life. A calling on your life. Now, this calling or these plans of God, it can include marriage. It can include family. It can include vocation. What God has planned out for you to do. And Ephesians 2 verse 10 talks about this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God prepared beforehand these good works, this divine plan, this eternal purpose for us. God prepared beforehand. So think about it as you were uh, conceived, because Psalm 139 takes it right back into your mother's womb. You're conceived. Great is the sum of God's thoughts towards you. Bible says he literally writes your life or his plans and purposes for life in a book. And uh, you're born into this world. The call of God to salvation comes to your heart at whatever age that is. Some get saved at a very early age. How many got saved uh, before you were a teenager? How many got saved as a teenager? I did. How many got saved in their 20s? How many got saved in their 30s? In their 40s? You guys are slow, aren't you? (laughs) Open their ears, Lord, to hear the call. 50s. How many got saved in their 50s? You got saved in your 50s? 50s? 60s? Anybody get saved in their 60s? You got saved in your 60s? 70s? Shalene got saved in her 70s? (laughs) She raised her hand. That's good. You look pretty young for your age there, Shalene. Uh, Terrence is blessed. <laughs> Terrence looks old, but uh, you look pretty young. Eighties? Eighties? Okay, so we got my sixties, I think. Anyway, so the call to salvation comes. As Paul writes, he says, when it pleased the Lord to reveal his son in me. 
He mentions that in the book of Galatians. When it pleased the Lord to reveal the Son to me, and that goes back to Acts chapter 9 when Paul, as a grown man, was on the Damascus Road, and, uh, you know, he's persecuting the church, and Jesus appeared to him, and he answered the call to salvation, right? And then, you know, with that call to salvation, God then begins to express his calling in, in your life, his purpose for your life, his plans for your life. You know, this is, uh, I remember I heard this when I was just a teenager, our, our youth pastor, Newton Tucker was his name, remember Newton Tucker? And uh, I was liking my wife-to-be at the time, and I'm newly saved, and he's teaching, and he, he had the theory, and I've heard this many times, that God does not have just one unique person for you talking about my way of marriage, that there's many out there and you just find, uh, you know, one that you love, that's spiritually minded, that you can, you know, share your life with and connect with spiritually, that you're not unequally yoked. And it could be a multitude of different women. Just make sure, you know, you marry the, the right kind of woman. But when I got saved, I always thought like God had that one special one for me. And I've heard the different arguments. You know what? I still believe that God had the one special one for me. I wonder who she was. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) You're it. We're it. And when you get married, all of a sudden that becomes the one special one for sure. But uh, before you get married, I always felt like God had, because God writes your life down in this book. He plans things out. He purposes things. And I think that God is so great that he led me to her, that she was the one. That's the calling of God, his eternal purpose, his foreordained plans, the good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. It can include your vocation. It can include marriage. It can uh, include uh, raising a family. It can include the church you go to, uh, things you do with your life, all right? How about this third calling? So you called to salvation, called to fulfill God's purpose for your life, Called to serve in God's church. I also think this is a calling. That everybody that's a Christian has a calling to serve in God's church. There's a place. He places you in his body. He makes you a hand or a foot, an eye, a mouth, an ear, a neck, whatever. Christ is the head. The church is his body. Listen, it says in 1 Corinthians 12... For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Just as God has set. Matter of fact, it tells us in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, that the Spirit of God baptizes us into his body. So it is God's calling that his children, his saved ones, not only have this eternal purpose or plan that he has ordained ahead of time 
works that you are to do, his plans and purposes. He's written down in a book. It's very meticulous. His plan for your life. And you seek God for that plan. It's his calling. It's unique to you. Only you can fulfill that divine call that is in your life. It's unique to you. So also, he has a place for you, a calling in your life to be a part of his local church, placing you in the body as it pleases him, a place to minister, a place to serve, a place to express your giftings, to fulfill his divine call in your life in the local church, which, which is why it's so very important as a believer to be a part of a local church, because that is part of God's calling. You're called to serve, called to be a part of, called to minister. If you read uh, many of the parables that Jesus gives, it has a lot to do with your gifts that God has gifted you with, those talents, those abilities that he's placed in you that you are to faithfully use, right? Giftings. The Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit and uh, that God requires of you, that you are to be faithful with those, that you will give account to how you lived your life and served the Lord in the local church. It's important. So that's calling number three. The fourth calling, a few are called to this calling. Every believer has the call to salvation, has the call to the eternal purpose of God in their life, has a calling to serve in God's church. Every single one of us do. But this fourth one that I want to talk about briefly here, a few are called to. It's found in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that is the ministry of Jesus Christ, he giving gifts to his church, what we call the fivefold ministry. I'm called of God to preach, to teach, to pastor. That's what I have in my life. He called me to preach the gospel out of Romans chapter 1. He called me to teach the word of God. He's called me to pastor this church. It's a call of God that's in my life. It's not the only call of God. I'm called to salvation. I'm called to fulfill his eternal purpose in my life and all that that means. I'm called to serve in the local church. And I'm called as a five-fold minister in the church. Now, let me try to explain the difference. The Bible says that he's called everybody to uh, the body and placed people in the body. And, and uh, some people he's placed in the Bible and uh, he, he gives them the ability to teach or he gives them the, the, the gift to prophesy, uh, things of this nature. But I want you to know that a, a person in the church that has the gift of prophecy does not necessarily have the office of a prophet. Or the office of a teacher of Ephesians chapter 4. God has placed them in the body. And the motivational gifts of the Heavenly Father are motivating them to teach or to give or to show mercy or to prophesy things of this nature. And they are part of the grace of God being expressed in the body. But there is a whole other set of the office gifts, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And uh, really, 
how would I explain to that? Well, one thing is, is that if you have uh, the, that office gift, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, that fivefold ministry, the gospel has been committed to your trust. That's what Paul told Timothy. The gospel has been committed to your trust. The Apostle Paul understood this because he mentions in the book of Corinthians, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The stewardship of the gospel has been committed to my trust. The idea here is it's a word-based ministry. And the scripture says that uh, people in the church need to submit themselves to those that exercise authority over them because they watch over your souls. They watch over your souls. So I have to guard the gospel, preach the gospel. The stewardship of the gospel has been committed to me, and so also God has given me souls that I, as an under-shepherd, watch over. That comes with a lot of authority and a lot of responsibility. That's part of the fivefold ministry. That also is the call of God. So there's a, everybody understand the fourfold call of God there? All right, let's go on here. The four characteristics of the call of God. Number one, the call of God is purposeful. Number two, the call of God is personal. Number three, the call of God is powerful. And number four, the call of God is practical. The call of God is purposeful. It comes with purpose. His purpose. What should we do as a Christian? We should seek God so that he will reveal his plans, his will, his purpose for our life. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by... So God orders our steps. No, no, not that job. That job. No, not that education. This education. Not that church. This church. Not that woman. This woman. Does that make sense? His purpose. It's purposeful. It's full of his purpose. The Christian life is not you getting saved and then having plans that you bring before God and say, will you bless these plans? Lord, this is my dream for my life. Will you make it happen? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is we are called of God to salvation. We're brought into the kingdom of God, brought into the family of God through salvation, the call of God to salvation. And then we then seek God for him to reveal his eternal dream for our life. That's important. I want you to know that sometimes God's plans and purposes for your life might be different than what you think it should be. And so what do you do when... God's dream or plan for your life is different than your dream and your plan for your life. What do you do? Surrender to his plan. That's what you have to do. You have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. When they were in the wilderness, was the cloud following them or were they following the cloud? They were following the cloud. That's what we do. The cloud is the presence of God. We follow Jesus. He doesn't follow us. We follow him. We seek him until we find 
his plans. We say yes to those plans. And then he orders our steps in his divine plan. So that when we get to heaven, we would say, you know what? I finished my course. I ran that race that you set before me. It was your course and your race that you put in my heart. I completed it. I was faithful. And then the Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's pretty good stuff. So it's purposeful. It's personal. Paul said this, 2 Timothy 1.11, to which I was appointed. Listen to his threefold calling. I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. When I look at that, I would say I'm appointed a preacher, a pastor, and a teacher. It's personal. God will never call you to do something you can do. Also, God will never call you to do something he cannot do through you. What do I mean when I say God will never call you to do something you can do? It's a high calling. It's beyond you. You need God. You need God's power. You need his strength. You need his help. He needs to reveal it to you, and he needs to empower it to you. It's like supernatural, but it's personal. It's for you. It's not just a calling to salvation. Each one of you have your story to tell about how you were saved or called. And then each one of you has your story as to how God has mapped out, planned, and purposed your life since you were saved. And you're running that race, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Does that make sense? You're running your race. It's personal. You can't fulfill my calling. I can't fulfill your calling. You have to, each one has to rise and fall on our own with the Lord. We each have to seek the Lord and fulfill his journey for our lives. It's purposeful. It's personal. Number three, it's powerful. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the call of God comes with his anointing or his enablement, his divine assistance to fulfill it. We're not alone in this. God doesn't call us to salvation and say, okay, this is my plan for you. Now, go and do it. You know, he's, his yoke is easy. We're yoked with him. We're yoked with him. We share the same yoke. And he carries it. He empowers us. He, insists, he uh, assists us in this. That make sense? And, and the final one is, I like this, it's practical. It'll be something that fits you, fits into this world. I guess God does not make you a spiritual weirdo. (laughs) Spiritual weirdo. Remember the pastor Judkins, he was the pastor I got saved under, and uh, he had this lady in the church, and uh, she was a, a divorcee, and she had gotten saved, and, but she wasn't being discipled correctly. She wasn't responding to discipleship correctly. She was 
trying to fit Jesus into her mold, and she wanted supernatural ministry and believed that God had called her to a prophetic bent. Anyway, uh, and when the Holy Spirit would come on her, she would shake her hands. And she wanted to talk to the pastor about this, and so uh, she came into the pastor's office, and she's going like this. She sat down, and and uh, she kept doing like this. Pastor said, what are you doing? She says, that when the Holy Spirit comes on me, I, I know it because my hands shake. He says, stop shaking your hands. Now tell me what the Lord's doing in your life. But that's weird. That's just weird. The Holy Spirit does come on you. The Holy Spirit does use you. Holy Spirit can call you to the prophetic ministry. But it's not going to make you a weirdo to me. James Beale, who I, who I loved, he pastors Bethesda Christian Church for years, and I looked at him as a, as a mentor, as an example. He said this to me one time. He says, when I see people acting a certain way, I ask myself, can I see Jesus acting that way? Can you see Jesus walking this earth going like this? I mean, when I, when I think of Jesus walking on this earth, you know, I think of a man of humility, a man of power. Grace was in his lips. I think of him, although he is very supernatural, but also very normal. Why do I say that? Because mothers brought their children to him and wanted him to bless them and hold them in his arms. And, and uh, people were attracted to him. Obviously because of his power, but obviously because also his teaching. But also, I believe, because of his, uh, the way he conducted himself. It's practical. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. The idea that the call of God being practical, Right? A practical, God has a job for you, a family for you, a, a, a marriage for you, a, a work to do, you know. Uh, your salt and light in this earth, that, that's part of his plans and purposes is to use you to reach people. That uh, he'll do it in, in, in ways that, well, obviously are supernatural, but not abnormal. Not abnormal. Abby Normal, Young Frankenstein. Remember that? Young Frankenstein, may I ever see that movie, Young Frankenstein? He sent Igor to go get, get, get the brain, and uh, he, he chose one. Uh, he, I think he dropped one. I can't quite, but he, anyway, he chose the one that was marked Abnormal, and he thought it was named Abby Normal. And so they put that brain, abnormal brain, into the Frankenstein, and, you know, he wasn't normal as, as the monster. Anyway, God, God does not, I mean, the Holy Spirit working in you produces the fruit of the Spirit. And there's nothing weird about the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The non-fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. There's nothing weird about that. He makes you supernatural because of the work of God in your life. You can forgive when it seems impossible. You can have peace in impossible situations. You can have wonderful strength in the midst of trying circumstances. He can make you supernatural, but he won't make you abnormal. Normal. 
normal. As normal as God can make us. <laughs> Does that make sense, Rhonda? You've always been normal. Thank you. Thank you, she says. All right, I'm going to look at Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 5. And we'll conclude with this. This actually is a passage of Scripture. It's a messianic passage talking about Jesus. It's really talking about the call of the Heavenly Father upon His Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 5. It says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. And he has made me at my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and I work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Almost all Bible scholars believe that this is a messianic psalm. It's referring to the Father's call upon his son, Jesus. Jesus, of course, left heaven and became, uh, came to this earth and took upon himself flesh, and he came to do the will of his father, right? And the volume of the book it is written to me, lo, to do thy will, O Lord. So he came to do the will of his father, came as, a, as man on this earth as well as fully God on this earth as well. So what does the call of Jesus teach you concerning your call? Because Jesus is always the example. He's the forerunner. As the father worked in his son, so also does God work in us, okay? The first thing I see is, it is divine in origin. Verse 1, the Lord has called me from the womb. It's divine in origin. It's a, it's a heavenly calling. We see that in the life of Jesus. The Father called the Son to do that work. We are sons and daughters. The Father calls us. It's from heaven. Since it's from heaven, it needs to be revealed to us. It comes from heaven down to earth. It needs to be revealed. It need, we need somehow to discover it, to find the call. It doesn't originate in our own heart. The call of God does not originate from our own heart. It comes from the heart of God. We discover it. He speaks it to us. So also the call to salvation, is that right? That way, am I correct about that? It didn't come from your heart. It came from God's heart. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I have called you, right? It's the call of God. God's calling you. Come to me. He draws you by his spirit. It comes into your heart. Faith arises. It's a divine gift that arises in your heart. You didn't find God. You didn't discover God, as it were, or you didn't choose to be saved just from your own choosing. God chose you because he chose you. You chose him. 
He sought you, so you sought him. He's the initiator of his divine work, always. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. He's the divine initiator. Am I right about that? So the, it, it, it's divine in origin. The call of God is revealed from heaven. You find the call when you seek the Lord. It comes from God's heart to your heart. Now, if you're saved and you say, you know what? I, I, want, I want to know my calling. I want to know my calling. Well, my advice to you would be to seek the call. Inquire of God. Look to the Lord. Listen to his voice. That's how it happens. Acts 7.23, it talks about Moses. Moses was born a Jew, raised in Pharaoh's household. He's 40 years old. The Bible says, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, I believe that that coming into his heart meant it came into his heart from God. It came into his heart from God. God put it there. He's 40 years of age, being raised in Pharaoh's household, and all of a sudden, it came into his heart. Because God had a plan. He's going to deliver Israel from the land of Egypt. And he said, it's time. And began to stir him. It came into his heart. Somewhere along the line, it came into your heart to get saved. It came into your heart to answer the call, to seek his purpose. He begins to reveal his plan for your life. It comes into your heart. Every Christian needs to be identified by this. We are seekers of God. We seek the Lord. We don't just seek the Lord in the beginning. We seek the Lord continually. Seek his face. Because he's always talking to us, revealing things to us, directing us, planning things for us. Well, I wish I knew all that God has for me. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because it's a walk of faith, not of sight. He doesn't show you everything. He shows you enough to take that obedient step. He might show you something down the line where you can have hope. Well, God gave me that promise. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but on down the line, I I believe he spoke to me that this is going to happen for me. But I've learned that I need to seek God continually. What am I supposed to do in three years or in five years? I will know if I set my heart on God. He will show me when it's the right time. It involves preparation. The call of Jesus did. How many years did Jesus live in Nazareth before he was revealed? Anybody know? 30? 30 years? Now, Nazareth was up in Galilee. All the activity was down in Judea, Jerusalem. That's where the religious power was, the political power. That's where all the population was. All the power of people, the important people, the busyness of things. That was all south. Jesus is way up north in this little town of Nazareth. God hid him there in his quiver, as it were. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me 
and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. He has hidden me. The call of God always involves some type of preparation. When Jesus talks about being hidden, it's the idea of waiting, preparing, and being qualified to step into what God has for you. As Paul would say, the Lord counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He counts you faithful. I mean, uh, Jesus is a prime example. 30 years before he was revealed, 30 years tucked away, hidden as it were, like an arrow in a quiver or a stone in a pouch, a shepherd's pouch. Moses, 40 years in Pharaoh, and then 40 years in the backside of the wilderness, being prepared, right? The Apostle Paul spent time in the desert receiving the gospel, the revelation. I think it was three and a half years in preparation and waiting, receiving the gospel before he began that ministry as an apostle. Preparation, waiting. You know, in Acts chapter 13, they're all praying and worshiping the Lord. It's in the church at Antioch there in Acts chapter 13. And finally, the Holy Spirit speaks, says, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. Well, so Paul and Barnabas, what were they doing? They were serving, serving in church, being faithful, waiting as it were, waiting while serving, God proving them, preparing them, polishing them, you know, polishing them like Talks about that polished shaft, you know. So they'd have to take that, that piece of wood and, and get off the rough edges and straighten it out and turn it into an arrow that could be a weapon in the, in the warrior's hands. And so, so is that what, that's what the Lord does. He, he takes us and he works on us and he shaves us and he, he takes out the bents and the curves and the knots and, and polishes us up so, so that when it's time to send us forth, we'll fly straight towards the target. Right? Waiting, preparation, being qualified. It's important. I've never, I've never liked uh, the boy preachers. You know, the 10-year-old boy that preaches the gospel. Never liked that. Because, I mean, where he's given a real platform to do that. Never liked that. You know, because he's too young. He needs to be prepared. He needs to be, be qualified. Maybe he can start small. And cultivate those gifts under proper oversight. But, you know, you can destroy people by putting them out there too soon. Or the, the, the star, the, the star that gets saved and all of a sudden they're all over the place with their testimony and, and their ministry. And people are flocking to them because they have this great testimony because they're a star. Next, you know, the, the fame and the notoriety are all that just... And the testimony isn't really complete. And in a year from then, they, they've fallen back into sin. Their testimony is now ruined and brings shame upon the gospel. And maybe they were put there too soon. Too soon. They gave too much of a platform. Am I making sense there? I mean, if you get saved and you have a testimony, you need to share that testimony. But there's a way that they platform them way too soon. And it can be destructive. You know, the Bible says, uh, lay hands on no man suddenly. The idea of ordaining people to ministry. You know, don't do it quickly. Don't do it quickly. Let them first be proved. Let them first be tested. Hmm. So it involves some preparation, right? 
it will produce opposition and adversity. In verse 4, this is the words of Jesus, this messianic passage. Then I said, this is Jesus talking, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Now, why would Jesus be saying that? Well, think about the life of Jesus. Maybe he said that at the very tail end of his ministry. When Israel rejected him, the religious leaders called him to be crucified. Rome crucified him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And his disciples forsook him and fled. And all he had at the cross was some women standing from a far distance Grieving and mourning, Jesus being crucified. Perhaps he said it at the, man, I've just labored in vain. What do I have for the work that I've done? And so the call of God on your life, the call to salvation, the call to serve, the call for his eternal purpose in your life, it always will involve opposition and adversity. Always. If you get saved, you will step into spiritual warfare. Listen to this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 10. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That would be Jen and Rhonda right there. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Wow. When Paul got saved... The Lord said this to Ananias, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Opposition and adversity. It happens when you step into the kingdom of God, when the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you, you then are Christ bearers. You then begin to walk with God and answer the call of God in your life his eternal plan and purpose for your life, you begin to walk that out. Listen, the world hates the light. There will be opposition. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Sometimes it comes from your own household. I've shared my testimony many times. When I got saved, my parents weren't amazed and astounded. Oh, this, is, this is awesome. My son, he's a Christian. He wants the Lord. He's, going to get, he's called to the ministry. What can we do to help you? No, it wasn't that way at all. You know? I had to set my heart on God. He uses that, you know, the principle of adversity is we grow stronger when times are tougher. If faith must be tested by fire, that's just the the quality of faith that must be tested by fire. God proves your faith and improves your faith through trials and tests. So think it not strange. One final one, and we'll close with this. The call of God, it's divine in origin, it involves preparation, it produces opposition and adversity, it comes with supernatural strength. In verse 5, my God shall be my strength. Now listen, God will anoint you, come alongside and help you, he will sustain you, he will equip you, and he will empower you for his work. We, are, we, we don't, don't have any excuse 
Because where God leads us, he will sustain us and he will empower us. He is faithful not to allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape. Am I right about that? His grace is sufficient even in our weaknesses. So he's called you to salvation. He's called you with an eternal purpose and plan. He's called you and placed you in church so you can find your place of service and ministry there. And for some, there is a call to fivefold ministry. That's usually what we think of when we think of the calling of God, that fivefold ministry. All right. We have time for some, tests, uh, for, for some questions or some comments on this lesson. You have the notes in front of you so you can follow it pretty easy. Any questions on the call of God? Try to explain it as clear as I could. Any questions? Did you like the fact that he doesn't make you a weirdo? We might seem weird to the world because our values are different, right? But uh, we're not weird acting. We're not weird acting. Yes. Okay, so he's talking about the call of God is very specific, and if somebody doesn't step into that call or be obedient to that call, then things get undone. And have I personally seen that? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I see it. I see it well, I see it all the time as pastoring a church where, you know, we're searching for help and volunteers, and, you know, we could run four buses, but now we're just running two buses. We, I mean, things get missed. Uh, things like that, but that's just in church. Uh, it can involve a specific call of God in their personal life where perhaps their testimony, because they pulled back from it, uh, maybe, maybe the spouse compromises their faith to live at peace with their spouse, and then what gets left is the spouse doesn't get witnessed to at the level that they should and maybe are not brought into the kingdom of God as soon as maybe they could have been. But I also believe in the sovereignty of God so that God will always, in his sovereign plan, work out his will to make sure it ultimately is accomplished. That, that makes sense? So I, I rest in that, you know. If we don't praise on the rocks, we're quiet. Yes. Yes. Raise up army out of the dry bones. And uh, one second there, Bruce, I'll get to you. Yes. And so I think everybody is expendable. 
God doesn't need us at all. When Moses is dead, then Joshua arises, this and that. And so if you look at it that way, none of us are necessary. Like, so that we're lifted up in pride. Well, I am so important. No, God can use a donkey to speak to the prophet. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's important that each one of us fulfill the call of God in life because there is great reward and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So let's serve the Lord. All right, Bruce. I was just going to say, in Matthew, it also says, many are called, but few are chosen. So there's a big difference. Everybody is called. Yeah, the gospel call to salvation. The call has gone out, come to me, be saved. It goes out to all the world, right? Whosoever is thirsty, come and drink. And then people don't hear it or they reject it. Like Jesus, he came into his own, his own received him not. They rejected it. But those that do answer that call, they are the chosen, shall we dare say, the elect of God, the chosen of God. Those that answered that call. If you're a Christian tonight, you're saved, you are the elect of God, chosen by God. You know that because you're saved. That's how you know that. Yes, Mike. Um, you mentioned uh, if you want to know what God's call on your life is. And I think one of the things that I did is I prayed the prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 to 21. Uh, it's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mic you for that one, all right? So he's talking about knowing, if you want to know the, the call of God, the plan of God for your life. He prays Ephesians 1. It's a great prayer. He's going to read that for us. Yeah, it's Ephesians 1, 17 to 21. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, it's talking about your destiny there. Okay, it's the destiny of your calling, right? And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And I think, I think, okay, this is what I did. You know, I, the Lord impressed upon me to pray this prayer. And so if you want to know what your calling is, that's what that prayer is about. Paul said he prayed it for the Ephesian church, starting in verse 15. Yes, thank you for that. It's great, great prayer. Paul's prayers are great prayers. Ask God, seek God. And, uh, you know, usually, uh, you know, if you feel like you have a calling, you know, people can affirm that calling. There's fruitfulness in that calling. Uh, there's affirmation in that calling. Uh, 
you know, so that's wonderful. But sometimes, you know, my parents certainly didn't affirm my calling, but uh, the pastor of my church certainly did. And the Christians that I had in my life when I first got saved, they certainly affirmed it. And so you might get opposition in one area, but affirmation. And uh, if you get affirmation from spiritually minded people rather than worldly people, I think that also is very important. You know, worldly friends might affirm you to pursue your dream and to, and to reach for the stars and to become a star. And then spiritually minded people might say, you know, why don't you seek the Lord for his plan for your life? I think that will bring you peace and joy ultimately. Different counsel, right? We walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. All right, any other questions or comments? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so that means uh, not everybody can hear you. So she's saying that as she, she prays and she reads the word and she starts feeling impressed with the Holy Spirit, she journals, journals, which a lot of people do, writes things down, and then she sees patterns. I don't want to miss, uh, miss. she sees patterns and many times the same thing being reiterated and, and you've learned that that could very well be the plan of God or the direction of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. Very good. Very good. The last thing we want to do is run from the call of God. You don't want to run from the call to salvation. You don't want to run from his eternal purpose, that calling in your life. You don't want to run from finding that place of service and ministry in your local church. And if you're called to the fivefold ministry, you don't want to run from that either. You never want... The great example of someone running from God is Jonah. And God prepared a storm, and God prepared a fish, and God brought him down to the depths until he said, I will return to God and answer the call. And you know, the fish vomited him up on the shore, and the same call came to him, go to Nineveh and preach. Running from it never changes God's calling because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Just because you run from it doesn't mean, so. okay, I've changed my mind. You've convinced me. Now you run from it, he'll get your attention, bring it back, and the call of God's still there. You got you to bend your neck to it. That makes sense? All right, Father, in Jesus' name, bless your people and encourage our hearts. We want to run to God. We want to run with God. We don't want to run from God. Lord, we're seekers of you. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. God bless you tonight.